Collage. Pollution. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story is science news. This is from CNN. Could Earth be a water world? It may have started that way. It's a weird way to phrase the headline because it's like, no. <laughs> no, no, it cannot because there's not. land. It is, there, is, there is land, but it may not have always been that way. Okay. And that's what this is about. Um, a new study published on Monday in the journal Nature Geoscience suggests that our planet could have been entirely covered in water about 3.2 billion years ago. I think the assumption has always kind of been that there was some land. And this theory is that actually, no, there wasn't. Hmm. Um, In order to investigate ancient Earth, University of Colorado Boulder researcher Boswell Wing, great name. Boswell Wing. Boswell Wing. Wow. It's so good. Yeah, just just Um, a great name. And study co-author Benjamin Johnson. uh, (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Investigated a site in northwestern Australia's outback called Panorama. That's the name of the site. Um, The geologic site is home to a piece of a of 3.2 billion year old ocean crust conveniently turned on its side. Uh, On one end, there's the remnant of the crusty outer shell that once belonged to earth. And on the other, the base reveals where water came up through hydrothermal vents in the ocean floor. So basically it's like a crust of the earth, but turned on its side, which makes it much easier to study because you just have to walk from one end to the other. Hmm. Um, So this is what they're looking at. By studying the rocks, they could analyze the water that passed through it. They gathered more than 100 samples across the area. Um, the key to their analysis was looking for isotopes, uh, evidence of oxygen that's been trapped in the rock. They were looking for oxygen-16, a lighter isotope, and oxygen-18, which is heavier and was more prevalent in ancient seawater. Uh, so that was kind of how they, they were determining which layers of this rock were more exposed to seawater, okay. essentially. Okay. Um, today, the land masses across Earth soak up those heavier oxygen isotopes from water, um, which are preserved in wet soils rich in clay. The researchers believed that the reason for the amount of oxygen-18 they found in the panorama samples is because there wasn't any soil or land masses comprised of it to absorb the isotopes. So their whole theory is kind of hinging on the fact that there was so much of this particular isotope just in the water that it indicates that there wasn't land to absorb it. Okay. Yeah. It, just it seems a little... So, it seems like a stretch. But stretch, yeah. I, I'm trying to think uh, of what, what I, word I want for this, but... It's a stretch, right? It's, right, it's, yeah. It's a... It's an assumption it's, that they're making yeah, it's with guessing a lot a, it's of... It's guessing a lot from what seems like very little, but also, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. They hopefully yeah, I'm know not what a, talking Are these about. archaeologists doing this, you um, said? Or? Geologists or Geologists? Something. I don't know. I'm not either of those. People so. who should des- definitely know more about this than we do. <laughs> um, uh, Wing says, there's nothing in what we've done that says you can't have teeny microcontinents sticking out of the ocean. So basically, like small archipelagos of islands and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't think that there were global-scale formation of continental soils like we have today. Uh, and Wing and Johnson are continuing their investigation among younger rock formations across the globe to find evidence suggesting when the birth of the continents did actually occur. Um, so they're going to do further research to try to figure out if there was, like, I guess a time when they noticed that these isotopes stopped being so prevalent or something. I don't know. I don't know how science works. <laughs> 
I think we we know a little bit about I know how a science little bit how science works, works but like I don't know. The, I don't, I, I don't I know how geology works. Geology I have no is idea. so yeah. I, I would I will say no that idea. is an area of science that I don't have a ton of experience in. I don't quite understand how they can make these big sweeping uh, assertions off of so little. Right. It is an interesting idea though that the Earth was a, at some point just completely I mean, completely covered. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I do think. That makes sense to me. That yeah, it was covered in water. Yeah, I believe that. That it's just like okay, well, volcanoes erupted and they created the land. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> Done. Right? We figured it out. Done. <laughs> We're not even geologists. <laughs> it is that easy, folks. <laughs> they look at all these minerals and things in the rocks and then make very large uh, assertions <laughs> off of that. This and it's rock just interesting. smells a little funny. There was no <laughs> land <laughs> ever. <laughs> We're living underwater right, right now. now. <laughs> okay, my first story is a nice, quick, random local news. I found this on UPI. Penn State University students and community members gathered at the site of a shuttered Taco Bell for a vigil mourning the loss of the fast food restaurant. Of, of the Taco Bell, okay. <laughs> the Taco Bell location on East College Ave. Uh, unexpectedly closed its doors permanently last week, leading a Penn State student to organize the Sunday night vigil. The vigil, which was advertised on Facebook, brought out dozens of attendees, including former Taco Bell employees, uh, to pay their respects to the closed eatery. The student who organized the vigil attended in a taco costume and made this statement. <laughs> Taco Bell was our home away from home and added spice to our life. The nearest Taco Bell to the closed location is about two miles away. Oh. So it's very close, but not good for walking distance. Yeah, two, two miles is still a little bit to walk. Yeah. I understand. I get it. <laughs> I thought you would. You, you, you know. I've, I've, I've not made my love for Taco Bell uh, unknown on this, um, on this podcast, but... I, I don't know if I would attend a vigil for one, but I get it. It would depend on it. what else was going on that night and if it was too cold. <laughs> That's If I didn't have anything else going on and it was, like, balmy, yeah, I'd go out. Well, I looked at the Facebook event for this, and over 500 people said they were interested. That's a so pretty That's good pretty, uh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty good publicity there. So. Yeah, I'd go pour out a Baja Blast. <laughs> like, into the, into the street, yeah. like, in front of it. Pour one out. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of other Taco Bells, and maybe it'll come back there. I have no idea why it closed. Oh, that I, thought you were gonna, this, I thought so. you were going to say there are plenty of other Taco Bells that could close, and you can go to a vigil. <laughs> well, that too. That's also an option. <laughs> where Where's the nearest Taco Bell to us? Right here? It's down the street, right? Yeah. But it's not really walking distance. Depends on how far you want to walk, yeah. <laughs> how many miles I'd say do you think I'd it? say it's within a mile. Okay, yeah. that's definitely walking distance. Then, For yeah. sure, yeah. Would you walk there? In a pinch. If, you're, <laughs> if you were stuck without a car mm-hmm. and you had to walk everywhere for food, like yeah. like we were in college, mm-hmm. would you take the time to walk to that Taco Bell? Absolutely. Okay. 100%, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I wanted to know. I really like Taco Bell, you guys. My next story is health news. Or unhealth news, I guess. Um, This is from Engadget. 
NASA maps show the effect of a quarantine on air pollution. Oh, oh! I bet I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. It's, I it's bet a, it's super good for air pollution. It's super good for air pollution. <laughs> it's kind of a secondary effect you don't expect with something like this. Um, in response to NASA's Earth Absor- Observatory releasing maps showing a drop in air pollution in the Wuhan region. NASA air quality researcher uh, Fei Lu said, This is the first time I have seen such a dramatic drop-off over such a wide area for a specific event. Uh, I'm going to show you the maps, too, because they are wild. Um, Industrial output in the region would have already been down significantly due to the Lunar New Year, because this is like a time when a lot of people are off work in China. Um, However, a government quarantine designed to stop the spread of the coronavirus, COVID-19, uh, made pollution drop much more significantly and for a longer period. Uh, maps of the Wuhan region from January 1st to February 25th, 2019, so last year, show oh. a noticeable drop in air pollution during the Lunar New Year. However, pollution levels quickly rebounded, and actually in the map it looks like they got worse. Oh. Um, uh, this year has been another story, however. Uh, the virus started to explode early in the new year, and by January 23rd, the government had shut down all transportation into and out of Wuhan while closing down local business, businesses wow, and factories in an effort to slow the spread of the virus. So pretty much they shut down transportation and factories, which are obviously going to be the two biggest yeah. contributors. Um, as a result, NASA's uh, NO2, that is, I think, nitrous oxide, right? I guess it's in no the atmosphere. That is. Maybe that's. Is it just nitrogen? Like I thought, just nitrogen was in the atmosphere. But why know. would it be? Or maybe NO two doesn't stand for that. Hold on, <laughs> I'm looking this up. I'm looking this up. I did notice that in the story they used not a subscript two, so maybe it's not actually a chemical formula. Oh, okay. Nitrogen dioxide or NO two is a gaseous air pollutant composed oh. of nitrogen and oxygen, and is one of a group of related gases called. Nitrogen oxides. Well, or hey. Probably nitrous oxides is a synonym for that. Right. Okay. So I was actually not far off, I guess. Yeah. Cool. I am a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, NASA's NO2 maps of the region during the same period in 2020 show very, very light levels of pollution on the maps. Um, another key indicator of pollution, ozone, shows a similar result, according to NASA. Uh, Liu has said that the agency has mapped pollution drops around Beijing during the 2008 Olympics, when they also made a concerted effort to lower pollution, um, and in other nations around the 2007 to 2009 economic recession, um, but they've never seen anything to this level. Um, And finally, to put some numbers to it, um, uh, overall NO2 values during the COVID-19 outbreak were from 10 to 30% lower than what is normally seen this time of year, which is like... Pretty significant drop. Yeah. And I have to show you these maps because, like, it's just, it's night and day, really. So the top row in this these, this grid of maps is 2019, and the bottom row is 2020 starting in January. Like, one is just oh, wow. nothing. <laughs> there's just there's n- nothing. There's just no pollution. I mean, it, relatively, probably on a scale, but still. Wow, that is such a significant difference. Right. Which, huh. I mean, obviously, it's not worth having a virus like no. this. I, I, I wouldn't think anybody is thinking that's what I'm saying, I would hope. But like, it is kind of fascinating to see just how much the human factors contribute to, to air pollution. Well, like, And I think it's probably specifically traveling, mm-hmm. like 
motor vehicles. Right. And, and the factories, too. And, you did and, say the factories. factory output, shut down yeah. Too. Yeah. But it, 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 just, it just kind of really puts in perspective how much of an effect we have on the atmosphere like that. Yeah. It really does. Because it's like, okay, because it makes you think about how all of that um, pollution isn't, it's not just like sitting there, it's constantly being yeah. put there. Right, and it's right. A, probably spreading with the wind and that kind of thing. Like it's, yeah, it's and then dissipating, right. but like, it's not like, oh, well, they've been producing a lot of pollution, it's just going to like sit there or something. That's not the case. It's constantly being output into the atmosphere. Right. And that that that's what I take from that, which is like, I don't know, it's, I have mixed feelings about it because it's like showing you that we can easily stop. Well, it's, sh- it's showing you that we have the power to stop, mm-hmm. but also it's like that's just spreading everywhere right. every day. Yeah, it it does kind of make it seem like if we made a concerted effort, we could probably decrease this to a very a much more uh, reasonable level, and we just aren't doing that. So I don't know. I thought that's it was. Tough. I thought the maps were interesting. That is really interesting, though. Um, and obviously, those will be in the uh, like story that we will include in the show notes and on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> All right, my next story is technology news. This is from CNET.com. Night vision goggles are apparently no match for a new wearable technology developed by researchers at the University of California, San Diego. The ambitious device aims to camouflage its wearer from heat-detecting sensors. Like, you know, like in the spy movies? Uh-huh. I don't know if those are in real life. And to protect you from dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. If there's a T-Rex, uh-huh. you, it won't, you, it won't be able to see Which we all scientifically know. <laughs> can only see in heat vision. Right. If you stop moving, they can't see you. Right. So, wait, but motion and heat are two different things. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Don't look too deep into it. Move on. Next part of the story. Anyway. What a, what a good story. Well, Keep going. Anyway, <laughs> while current heat camouflage tech works by matching emitted heat levels to a predetermined ambient temperature, this new prototype uses a wax-like material that shifts from liquid to solid to, to match changing ambient temperatures, which I don't understand what that actually means in Me reality, either. but apparently that's what it does. The technology can adapt to outside temperature changes in just minutes, while the inside remains comfortable to the wearer. The researchers' next challenge is scaling up the technology. Their goal is to create a jacket with the technology built in, but under current conditions, the garment would weigh more than four pounds <laughs> and only function for an hour, according to the release. And also, wouldn't it only cover the torso? <laughs> and also, it's not... Well, they don't have it in a jacket form right now. It's just like... It's not in an actual garment. It's just they right. made a material that does it. But what good is... Why would it like, only cover the torso? A jacket would only cover your torso. Oh, oh, I'm, I know what you're saying. Like, it's like not covering your whole body. Right. Like, oh, yeah. So you're just going to be like a pair of, like, hot legs running around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't really want to be viewed as a pair of hot legs, so... <laughs> I'm so much more than my hot legs. Yeah. Uh, so that's a problem they're going to need to solve. <laughs> Um, the team is also exploring lighter, thinner materials so the garment could weigh two or three times less, and then they can make maybe a, a whole bodysuit. Yeah, that would be the next step, so, I'd imagine. Um, 
so for now, you can see the technology in action in a YouTube video that they released, mm-hmm. which is like a heat camera and just showing it changing. Sure. But like... Seems like it'd be easy to fake that, but okay. I also think that, but <laughs> I'm going to believe that. Believe it. Just okay. what I want to know is like, what are the applications for this? I just don't right. understand why the, the average person needs... Oh, the average like, person certainly doesn't well, need this. Who, okay. Not, <laughs> fine. Who needs it? Time travelers who are going back to dinosaur times. Okay. Um... CIA agents? Yeah, I guess like people hiding in nighttime situations. <laughs> Which like is spies? that, a, is that I common? Don't I don't know. I don't know. Mostly dinosaur time travelers, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, I think maybe they could use this in the movies. So like James Bond could have a real heat sense blocking jacket. Yeah, but they don't need to actually invent something for that. <laughs> Why not? Just you know, I know, I know they it. don't. <laughs> I know they don't. But what if they could just have a real one? I mean, wouldn't that make the movie that much cooler? Not really. Because how, how would you? Even how know? do you communicate that to the audience? I guess I don't, I don't know. know. I'm trying to think of some. You're trying. You're trying really hard. It's a, it's a valiant effort. <laughs> There's you know. no practical uses for this. Just dinosaur time. I, traveling. I just don't. Yeah, I just don't know. Just dinosaur time traveling. Yeah. Yeah. Or if dinosaurs ever come to our time. Right, and we need to protect ourselves from them. Right. Which I think will be fine, honestly. We have guns now. That's true. That's true. Unless, like the, unless they get guns, then we really, the, <laughs> we really the need these. Velociraptors might figure out how to use guns. That's true, yeah. They have, like, dexter... What is the word? I'm like, Dexterity. Dexterity in Or there. dexterous fingers. Yes, I, was, I wanted to say dexterous hands, yeah. but then I didn't know if that was the right You're way right. to say that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you never know. So dinosaurs with guns... Or time traveling to di- any basically any scenario with live dinosaurs, right? Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we're we're set then if that ever happens for now. So we can be yeah. yeah. Well, once we actually develop this technology, once it's actually a garment that you can wear, right, and not just a jacket. But it's not even a jacket. It's just like strips of cloth. So All there's right. just lots of problems. Yeah, I have a lot of issues with this. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want a velociraptor feasting on my hot legs. My next story is Space News. It's from Space.com. It's appropriate. Perfect. Uh, NASA is heavily featuring in my stories this week. Uh, Want to go to the moon? NASA is now taking new astronaut applications. Moon resort? Not not necessarily. Oh, man. (laughs) This is more like actual (laughs) space scientists. Oh, okay. Kind of astronaut, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You're excited, though. I'm sorry to crush your dreams like that. Uh, The agency began accepting applications for its next class of astronauts uh, on March 2nd, and U.S. citizens can apply until March 31st at 11.59 p.m. EDT. So very specific. Mm -hmm. Uh, The application process will take a while, but NASA expects to make its final selections for astronaut candidates in mid-2021. Um. There's hmm. no word yet on how many people will be chosen, but competition will be fierce. I didn't realize this. The agency only picked 12 out of 18,300 applicants during the last selection process. Wow. Which wrapped up in 2017. Uh, one of the finalists resigned during training, leaving 11 people who graduated and became eligible for uh, space flight earlier this year. So 11 people out of 18,000 applicants were, like, 
even accepted wow. this program. Uh, the, ba- <laughs> the basics for qualification are rigorous, and accepted astronauts uh, usually exceed the mark. Uh, that said, NASA said applicants should hold a master's degree or equivalent in a STEM field, which could include engineering, biological science, physical science, computer science, or mathematics. Outside of basic education, NASA demands experience, either two years of related, progressively responsible, whatever that means, work in your field, or a uh, minimum of 1,000 hours command piloting a jet aircraft, which is a lot of hours. Wow. Candidates must also pass a NASA long-duration spaceflight physical, as you may spend anywhere from six months to a year in space on the International Space Station after being selected for flight, or for a flight. So it's a really, really intense process, it sounds like. I want to know all the details of all the things you have to do to pass this process. Right. Uh, new recruits typically spend about 2.5 years in basic training before Ugh. being eligible for missions. So, I mean, I could see that. Yeah, two and a half years before you're even able to like. But go. that's even after you're selected, though. After you're selected, right? okay. yeah. And the selection process sounds like takes at least a year. Um, uh, International Space uh, Station missions often require 18 months or more of crew training before liftoff. And I, I think that's in addition to the two and a half years of basic training. Um, this means that new recruits likely won't fly until after 2024, uh, which is when the first crewed moon landings of NASA's Artemis program are scheduled to take place unless their schedule changes. So that Artemis is their plan to put people on the moon again. Oh. Apparently. Um, I didn't realize that was happening again. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't um, realize that either. That said, the agency plans to build a permanent presence on the moon in future flights, moon resort. Moon uh, resort! <laughs> and if the funding and will persist <laughs> to go on to Mars in the mid-2030s. So we'll see. Okay. That's pretty far off. Yeah. That um, just, that seems far away. But yeah, permanent presence oh. on the moon is an interesting idea. Yes. But yeah. Just you think of all the kids who want to be astronauts and how few of them are actually going to get yeah. to do it. Is that a thing that kids actually want to be? Or is that just like a one of trope? Those, yeah. Where it's like one of the five jobs they learn about in elementary school. And they're like, I want to be that one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, me personally, when I was a little kid, I never found any appeal in that. Yeah. Like, I really wanted so you're, to... they're launching you off the planet. There's so many ways you could die. I just don't really... Hopefully kids aren't thinking that way. I was a strange child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know when I was a kid, I really wanted to be a veterinarian. And then I found out I would oh. have to actually like operate on animals. And that completely oh. turned me off from it because I was... <laughs> horribly afraid of blood for a long time until game of thrones when i was really little this is great i wanted to work at pizza hut (laughs) because i just wanted free pizza (laughs) see that's actually that's that's one of the smarter like jobs i think a kid would want so i'm like i want to be a doctor it's like you don't know what a doctor does you know what that is (laughs) but pizza hut you know i knew what that was i was like i could work here yeah i'd get free pizza Mm mm-hmm and all I'd have to do is like be a you know a server. I think I could do it. I was a little kid. I was like, yeah, I could serve pizza and I could eat pizza. It's simple, you know. Yeah, no, that's some solid logic. <laughs> I just thought I was going to get to hang out with animals. That was my yeah. motivation. But yeah, I don't think I ever wanted to be an astronaut. Okay, my third story is also space news. 
Space. This is from the New York Post. A gigantic asteroid, almost as large as Mount Everest, is zooming towards Earth next month. <laughs> but NASA says not to worry. It's oh, not good. expected to collide with our planet, so we can all calm down. <laughs> it's like half a clickbait title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the space rock is called 52768. I don't get these names of these I don't things. I know, but it's, it's so, so ma- catchy. It's just... Uh, and it was actually first seen 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. According to the space agency, early in the morning on Wednesday, April 29th, 2020, it will pass within 4 million miles of Earth, which is close for them. Relatively speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And it will be moving at 19,461 miles per hour. That's pretty fast. Yeah, very fast. The asteroid's discovery comes on the heels of last month's installation of new state-of-the-art computing and data analysis hardware that speeds our search for near-Earth objects. This was a statement according to a near-Earth asteroid tracking project manager. Good for them. (laughs) Uh, Although the asteroid, which is between 1 and 2.5 miles wide, is classified as potentially hazardous because of how close it will be to the Earth's orbit, NASA scientists have not put it on the agency's list of potential future impact events. Wait. Because they... Is there a list of those? Apparently there's a list of those. Oh. They said it says there's a list. List of potential future impact events. Okay. I don't know why I originally read that and wasn't really phased by that. Like, yeah, of course they have that <laughs> list. Like, why did I think that? I don't know. That's a you're right to be concerned. How long is that <laughs> how long is that list? Are we doing anything about the things on that list? <laughs> Where is the list? This one public? didn't go on it, so there must be stuff coming closer to us, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now I'm scared. Uh, <laughs> now I'm worried about the list. Uh, you got me worried about the list. Where's the list? Is it online? Is it it's a secret? I, okay, I, I should have looked in, more into that. Yeah, but I it's, did not. No, it's okay. Hey, it's if probably better not to know. If you're listening to this and you know about this list, let us know. Yeah, let us know. about the list. Yeah. Okay, now it's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. And we're going to try to not talk about the coronavirus. <laughs> as hard as that may be. Hot legs. Ready, set, go! go! I found this on UBI. Uh, man brings tux-wearing llama to sister's wedding. What? Have you not seen this before? Uh, this has been going around. No. Oh, is this like a viral thing? Or? Yeah. Okay. No, and I didn't o- see it. An Ohio man made his sister into a viral star when he made good on a five-year-old threat to bring a tuxedo-clad llama as his plus one to her wedding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did he like bring it into the reception? Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see any pictures of it in the reception, but... <laughs> There are definitely pictures of it outside the venue, <laughs> which I will show you. Um, his name is Mendel Weinstock. He said he was on a road trip with his older sister, Riva, and some friends about five years ago when his then-single sibling started speculating about the details of her eventual wedding. He said, if you make me come to this wedding, I'm going to bring a llama with me. <laughs> he okay. said it's just the first thing that popped into his head. Um, she got engaged, uh, in October of 2019 
And uh, shortly after the phone call where she told her brother about it, uh, she received a text message confirmation that he had booked a llama rental. (laughs) (laughs) She said, (laughs) she said, when my brother puts his mind to something, he gets it done. So at some point I had to accept it and and decide that it was easier to get in on the joke than to fight it. Oh my gosh. That's some good sibling, uh, uh, not rivalry, but understanding, I guess. Um, uh, Camaraderie? No. Yeah. Interaction? A neutral word? I have no idea. Uh, He posted a photo to Reddit of the resulting scene, and it got like over 100,000 upvotes in like a pretty short period of time, like during the wedding. Uh, The bride said that she's planning retribution, possibly at her brother's upcoming college graduation. (laughs) She says, I've definitely started planning my revenge. He should sleep with one eye open. (laughs) It's just so good. I want to see the llama. Hold on, I need to... Her face is like, what? You brought a llama here? That's some dedication to a joke. I mean... Seriously, talk about a callback. That is, <laughs> yeah. That is. I wonder what she's gonna do to get back at him. <laughs> oh, I know. I just. <laughs> she just has a, a stampede of llamas go yeah. through his, his graduation. <laughs> like someone shows up with like a shepherd staff and is like herding llamas through. Them. Okay, I also found something on UPI. The headline is: Company offers a thousand dollars to watch fifteen hours of The Office. So, a satellite TV website is offering $1,000 to a comedy fan willing to complete an unusual dream job, watching and analyzing 15 hours of The Office. USDish.com, a Dish Network retailer, announced it is celebrating its 15th anniversary of the NBC sitcom um, by choosing one applicant to watch 15 hours of The Office, which is about 45 episodes, and take detailed notes on it. So things like completing a checklist that tallies the number of common tropes that occur throughout each episode. Hmm. That's a pretty good rate. Um, in a sta- I know, right? <laughs> I'm just in a sta- trying to do the math in my head. <laughs> like, That's yeah, it, it, I think it's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Especially since you're just like watching TV. Uh, so this is a statement that someone made. For instance, how many times does Stanley roll his eyes at the camera? How often does Phyllis talk to Bob Vance from Vance Refrigeration? The goal is to help us understand how often sitcoms repeat popular tropes. We'll provide you with general guidelines to track your experience, but in true Kelly Kapoor fashion. Do I know what that means? She's a character on the Oh, office. right, right. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? Why do uh, I know that and you yeah. don't? I think you've seen more of The Office than I have. I have seen a lot of The Office, but it's been a while since yeah. I watched it. Like, I haven't seen it recently. Um, they also want you to share your unfiltered opinions and reactions on social media you get this Uh, so this company is accepting applications for this um and optional video submissions on its website through march 16th i wonder what that would look like a video submission yeah it's supposed to be like why i want this job i guess the first thing that comes to mind is elwood's application to harvard (laughs) (laughs) perfect Okay, I bet someone just recreating that video, oh, that but just be, talking about The Office would yeah, be like prime. That would they'd be, be in like finalist they'd for be, this. They'd be set. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can have that idea. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it either, so yeah. you can take so, that idea and do anyone, it. Yeah, if anyone wants to try for this, go wild. Like, thousand bucks to analyze all the comedy? 
in the office, like yeah, that's easy. I would I would do it. I just also am not that invested in the office, so I do it for like I would do it for Thirty Rock and a heartbeat. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually think I would do it for Parks and Rec. Parks I'd and be Rec, more yeah. passionate would, about that than the office. I would do it for Parks and Rec over the office too. Yeah. No offense, to the office. No, yeah, no, the office is great. <laughs> I just, if I'm gonna have to sit and like analyze like that, Parks and Rec for me. Yeah. I almost would do that just for no money. <laughs> yeah, just I was watch say, it again. <laughs> talking about it now, it's like I haven't watched that show in a while. I never even finished Thirty Rock. Still, I have to do that. Oh wow, yeah, you I do. never finished it. I love Thirty Rock. All right, and that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News and on Twitter at, at News. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hot legs.